Looking to stand out from the pack at your first job? When you earn a master's in management from Georgetown, you'll gain the skills employers value most, elevating your career prospects for years to come. Get started at choosegeorgetown.com slash MIM. Welcome to the Smart Driving Cars podcast. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the faculty chair of autonomous vehicle engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi again, Alan. Good morning, Fred. Good morning. And we're joined this week by Michael Senna, publisher of the Dispatcher newsletter based in Sweden. Great to have you with us again, Michael. Thank you, Fred. Michael, lovely to have you. Good to be here, Alan. Is it still summer there in Sweden? Uh, it's we're quickly moving to to uh, to autumn, but uh, we've we've had a good summer. Great. No one can complain this year. Well, here it is, the beginning of September, and Alan, first up on in the Smart Driving Cars newsletter this week is China's Didi, which has suspended its hitch carpooling service after the murder of a female passenger, the second incident of its kind this year. DD, for those who may not know, is the Uber, really, of China. In fact, they purchased Uber's business in that country. Yes, this is uh, this is really tragic because DD had been doing so well. Uh, and DD probably serves uh, uh, 30 million trips a day in China. Uh, they're, they're, they're really a good operation. But my goodness, uh, with respect to this hitch service, um, some people uh, made some, I think, very bad decisions. At, at first, I thought this was just because uh, uh, Dee uh, and Hitch hadn't, hadn't vetted uh, the drivers properly or responded to complaints. I mean, one of the beauties of, of the ride-hailing business and, and doing it with apps is that uh, is that the, the rider rates the driver and the driver rates the rider. So in a sense, uh, because of the rating system, um, there's, uh, there's an opportunity to have uh, uh, input from both sides of, of, the, uh, of the business, and it makes both sides behave so that um, if, you're a, if you're a rider and you don't behave, then uh, you don't get served anymore. And if you're a driver and the... And the passengers don't like you, uh, you don't get any business anymore. So it, it really is a natural way for everybody to behave. And and I thought it was just uh, there at first, uh, the way it was reported was it was, uh, might have been a lax uh, um, uh, response to a customer complaint. Uh, but then it comes out that really uh, what uh, Hitch was doing was promoting itself um, with Dublin Downs and um, and really in some senses a, almost a pickup service. My goodness, uh, how did ride sharing all of a sudden uh, take on uh, this ugly side of, um, of the internet? Um, you know, uh, uh, how could it move towards a chat roulette? I, I mean, that's just ugly. So, um, um, as I mentioned in uh, Smart Driving Cars, um, I think DD needed uh, some adults or something. Um, but my goodness, um, they need a restart on that, all that. And, and hopefully the rest of the, the ride hailing business will not go anywhere near that kind of thing. I mean, it's <clears throat> ride sharing is tough enough uh, with respect to just having a driver 
uh, give a passenger a ride uh, in driverless where you where really the the business doesn't actually work well for society unless unless you get ride sharing and if there's now this uh, these uh, sexual overtones on on the ride sharing um, it's never going to get anywhere so um, uh, this has to be cleaned up immediately yeah you know, you've spoken out uh, as as you just did for a long time about the need for ride sharing to be really the driving force behind uh, the the self-driving car services how big of a setback might this be well i i hope i hope it just gets cleaned up quickly and i think dd responded well i fired the, the the executives in charge of that particular part of the operation and i don't think that that there's no indication that there had that 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 orientation had leaked to, to the rest of the uh, of the dd um, uh, ride sharing business hitch was was sort of something special. It's almost like um, you know, it, it's a it's a um, um, an app-based slug line uh, where you know, people who are driving to work uh, can pick up people who are going to work in about the same direction that they're going to work. So instead of driving by themselves, they can pick somebody else up, and and uh, that person can leave their car at home and therefore have a all the societal benefits of reducing energy pollution, congestion, and so on. And it's really neat, but, um, but I don't know, I guess they got enamored with the, with their, with the word hitch and took it in the wrong direction. I mean, one, one has to stay completely away from that because um, if, if two strangers are going to get in the same vehicle together, there has to be an enormous amount of trust. And uh, and there should be there can be no doubt about it. And um, anyway, uh, Michael, what do you think about all this? Uh, it, it's hard for me uh, uh, because I, I I think that that in most cases when we have these kinds of, of uh, applications on the internet, eventually it leads to to unsocial behavior among those people who can see this as an opportunity. I spent three weeks hitchhiking around the British Isles in 1970, in the summer of 1971. I never had a thought of being unsafe. But how many people actually hitchhike today? I'm not talking about an internet application or, or taxi service, but just going out, put, putting your thumb out in the, on the, you know, in the street and say, you know, I, I need a ride. I mean, I don't think any parent would, would allow their child today to, to engage in that kind of activity because it's just a completely different world. And put something like Hitch or, or any of these internet-based applications, particularly in places where there are so many people who, have, who can have uh, deviant behavior, and you're going, to get, you're going to get situations like this. It's going to happen. And I don't know how you can prevent it. It's it's really tragic. I, I like you. Uh, I hitchhiked when I was growing up. Um, I my parents didn't have a car. Um, you know, uh, that's how I got around. Uh, um, I was I caddied at Chartier's Country Club. How did I get there? I hitchhiked there. Uh, you know, as a freshman at, at Penn State, at going anywhere, we hitchhiked. Um, I used to make a sign. Uh, and hold up a sign uh, indicating where I was going. Why? So that people would have an opportunity to know uh, whether or not they were going in my direction and they might stop 
And um, and again, and I I never <clears throat> never thought that anybody would um, uh, fearless as, in a sense. And it is a real shame. I know, you know, as I drive down the street, I pass people walking and I say to myself, well, I'd like to just stop, you know, pull up and say, hey, do you need a ride? But I'm afraid that if I do that, they're going to think I'm a predator on I mean, the societal society has changed, but it could change back. I mean, and given uh, social media, you could change you could change people's perception. Um, and, and, and why it would be nice if everybody behaved. <laughs> what else can I say? Yeah, I, I agree. It's such a shame. And, and, and then to have an organization then in, in any sense, uh, somewhat promoting the, uh, such misbehavior or, or even implying the, in the least bit such mis- misbehavior. Look, uh, car companies have sold cars using sex uh, forever, okay, or maybe not forever, at least since Mad Men. Um, uh, and um, and so, yes, if you're selling cars, but, but this ride sharing and the implication and so on, come on. I mean, um, uh, this, has, this has to be stopped immediately. It's an issue that uh, companies like uh, Uber have had to contend contend with in some forms. Uh, And amidst all the questions about Uber's autonomous vehicle future, it now has a strengthened partnership with Toyota, according to Wired. Uh, The partnership includes a $500 million investment and a focus on Toyota's Sienna minivan. What do you make of that, Alan? Well, I'm glad they found a partner. Um, Um, because they, they really need one, and I guess Toyota is an appropriate partner. I guess I'd like to see what the what the terms of the five hundred uh, uh, million are. I mean, the, the the article claims that it's a a valuation of, of seventy two billion, um, which seems to be um, oh my goodness, um, Uber must be um, must be smiling all the way to the bank. Uh, however. Um, is the five hundred million cash uh, um, uh, services uh, uh, and so on, and so forth? So, so the details matter. But uh, even without the details, um, uh, Uber this, this is this is a major win uh, for Uber because they desperately need a partner, and they probably need a partner again that's an adult, and uh, Toyota's an adult. So. Um, uh, uh, for Uber, this is this is very good news. For Toyota, um, it's um, I guess they're looking past um, uh, um, the uh, previous um, um, uh, behavior of Uber, and uh, maybe they'll um, they'll help Uber again uh, grow up. Another company uh, in the news, Waymo. The information has a report titled uh, "Waymo's Big Ambitions Slowed by Tech Trouble." And it talks about some of the scenarios that are giving Waymo vehicles headaches or trouble in Arizona. Well, you know, some people take that. Oh my goodness! It means this is disastrous. I, I think this is this is this is really good news because it, it indicates that in fact uh, um, Waymo is actually maturing. Um, I think it's like common in smart driving cars. Um, every time I sit on my front porch and watch cars going down the street, our street, Cleveland Lane, 
oh, what are these cars doing on my street? I wish they wouldn't be here. And and um, and um, I always think that people driving ahead of me are just doing the wrong thing. And and I even hit the horn sometime. And and what are they, uh, you know, out there using my street or or congesting the road ahead? What? Why are they there? So. It sounds to me that um, that this is uh, just a a, um, a natural reaction uh, to having um, uh, another uh, user um, take uh, and use the public facilities, uh, the public streets, and those others those others of us that use those streets saying, "Oh my goodness, well, why can't we have this all just for ourselves?" So um, um, I think that that's that's the partial reaction. The other thing uh, is, is that, uh, and this is um, not completely tongue-in-cheek, this is somewhat serious, I, I think that, that, that Waymo should consider uh, putting a sign in the back of each of their, of their uh, minivans and, and everybody else that's doing testing of um, self-driving or even driverless vehicles, either one, or even people who, use, uh, who are using um, uh, intelligent cruise control. And that is, I uh, have a sign in the back saying uh, this car um, uh, obeys all traffic laws and, and, and rules, and you should too. So most of the complaints that are, that are being aired out there are because um, the vehicle is, is following the rules. It's, it's not driving as we drive, which is a total disregard. Uh, it's driving as... Um, as uh, uh, we have uh, uh, legislated it, and we have regulated it, and it's following the rules. Uh, one can easily write the algorithms to behave the way we we behave and be uh, totally ruthless out there. Um, uh, but uh, but I think that that uh, having a sign uh, just uh, reminding people behind there that that uh, that that's what the, this vehicle is going to behave. I've argued in the past that, that whenever we turn on cruise control on our cars, there should be a little light that comes on that tells everybody around us that says the car is now operating on a, on a philosophy of maintaining a constant speed ahead, as opposed to the way people tend to drive, which is a constant depression of, of the gas pedal. And the constant depression of the gas pedal means that if there's a rolling hills, you're going fast going down and slow going up. And, uh, you know, that's, that's normal behavior, I get, or, you know, normal human behavior. And so if, if, the, if the vehicle is going to behave uh, different from that, then, then uh, one should be putting that uh, hint out there to the rest of the folks, saying, oh, okay, uh, this car is going to be traveling at constant speed. Um, I got it. Thank you. Somehow, um, Nitsa never liked that idea, and, um, and, and, and I, I just don't understand. Um, if, you, if you're in the back of a, following a bus, a bus has a sign on the back that says, uh, this vehicle stops at all railroad crossing. That indicates to the human drivers behind that the behavior of this vehicle is going to be according to some rules that, that aren't followed by most people. So I think, um, you know, uh, providing the information and letting everybody know is one thing and also reminding them that maybe they should be following some of the rules and, and regulations a little bit more closely than they actually do. So um, I, I, I thought that that was, I think this is a positive thing. 
Um, it's a, if this is going to become a business, uh, the evolution of the, of the business from, from nothing to something has to pass through uh, this state. Well, it's a perfect segue into um, Michael here, and it's in the new issue of The Dispatcher, Michael. You've got a, a column titled, Robot Drivers Need to Navigate More Like Humans. <laughs> Let, let's bring you in here. Okay. Well, I just, on the, on the, on the uh, issue of, of uh, signs in the back of vehicles, I've always thought it would be nice to be able to communicate. We did. There was a period of time when we had CBs, uh, and we driving around at that point in time, you were able to talk to most of the people, at least in your age group, as well as the truck drivers who, who also had CBs. That, unfortunately, that it disappeared. But uh, the thing that I've always thought was an interesting sign on the back of vehicles was baby on board. I always wondered, what, what am I supposed to do? When I see that sign, am I supposed to, I don't know, should I get close and try to look at the baby or should I get in front of the car and try to keep people away from it? I wasn't quite sure what that baby on board sign was supposed to do for me. And I guess it's the same thing with a lot of, of the ways that we might communicate with, uh, with others around us uh, using various forms of communication that we're, we're now developing. What is it we're actually intending to do with the information that we get either personally or, or by the, uh, by the cars. But, um, that's a little diversion into into signage on the backs of on the fronts or backs of cars. the The point of the of the um, the article was not to denigrate navigation systems. I mean, I start I start the the that particular article out by saying we developed navigation systems twenty five years or so ago, and we did the best that we could with what we had at the time. And what we had at that time were vehicles that could not see. So we developed systems that were based on, on systems that could help us to find our way where we provided as much of the site as we possibly could, but the systems were essentially operating without having any visual access to either signs or information that was around the roads. Um, before we had navigation systems, we did manage to find our way. Now, maybe there were more difficulties in the vehicle where someone was sitting in the passenger seat said, you know, you've got to turn right here. And the person who was driving the car said, no, I'm absolutely sure we have to go straight. Um, so maybe those, those kinds of difficulties disappeared to a certain extent. But um, if we're going to turn over the task of driving to people or to systems that are now going to actually drive the vehicle and have to navigate at the same time because we've got the person who's in the car isn't, isn't in control. They're sitting in the back seat. Uh, or, or there are vehicles who do, that don't even have individuals in them, like delivery vehicles or, or other types of vehicles that are, that are picking, up, picking up trash. Um, those vehicles need to be able to navigate at the same time as driving. We do a pretty good job of both without navigation systems. Uh, humans have managed to find their way for as long as we've been around. We've had navigation systems in our cars and now in our hands for the last, maybe the last 10 years or 15 years. We've had them in vehicles for the last 20 years. Um, so the point is that if we're, 
if we're going to turn this task over to robots, robots need to do at least as good a job as we've done of finding our way. And there are all kinds of, of, of signs that we use and in both internal and external that are part of how we've developed as humans and we use those. Um, that's, that's the point of this, of this article. What we're, what we're doing right now with robot driven vehicles or humanless driven vehicles is that we're applying a, a paradigm that was developed that basically is, is just extending what we were doing before turn right, turn left. Here's the street. Uh, here's the, you know, I see the sign, the sign says whatever the, the, the um, the, the, the instructions are, we don't necessarily navigate that way. We, in fact, we don't navigate that way. We have other ways that we, as humans, move from around in places. And uh, I think we need to be much more conscious of, of those kinds of, of uh, systems, internal systems that humans have, if we're going to be, feel sitting in a vehicle, not driving a vehicle, and feel comfortable with the fact that that vehicle is taking us someplace that we would like to go. Alan? Yeah, well, I, I found that, that, that I really liked uh, what uh, Michael both said and wrote about this because it really, uh, it really uh, generates some new thought in terms of, of the whole process of navigation. Uh, uh, both uh, Michael and I, uh, I'd like to say, uh, sort of pioneered the, the the previous uh, generation of uh, of turn by turn navigation systems, and um, and those uh, that was that was certainly a, a way to do it, but but it, it, it was not not the way uh, we do it as humans. And I thought that that uh, bringing this concept uh, to light here and having us rethink um, uh, how we should be doing navigation, I thought was uh, was brilliant by um, by Michael. I don't. I mean, uh, the the article ends by saying we we really need to start looking at this. As Alan Alan said, I don't have an answer to this to this question. I, I'm I'm contemplating starting a little project, which would hopefully would end up in a book. But I haven't I haven't decided that that's that that's something that I'm capable of doing or or have the have the the possibility of doing. But I think that that it's it's an area that we need to spend some more time thinking about and and maybe doing some things about. Let's get into your other uh, article here, Michael, called uh, Data Control is the Key to the Future of Transport. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure what, what, it, what was the trigger for this article, but suddenly it, it hit me um, that we're doing things in different parts of the world in very different ways when it comes to what's normally called or what has been called artificial intelligence. And I make the case that artificial intelligence as a term um, is, is misleading because what, in fact, what artificial intelligence is, is it's based on humans providing machines with as much information as they possibly can uh, have in order to be able to make intelligent decisions. And collective intelligence is a much more appropriate term, but that's, that's sort of an aside. The concept here is that, that in different parts of the world, artificial intelligence is being developed according to plans that are either established by, by the government or governments or how governments treat 
business and individuals. And this is exemplified by China, where artificial intelligence has now become a goal or, or, or being world's best in artificial intelligence has become a goal of the Chinese government. And they have absolutely wonderful capabilities of taking all of the information about everyone who lives, 1.2 billion people living in that, that country and using it. Whereas in the United States, the approach has been and continues to be, the government isn't gonna do anything about this. The control of, of data has been and will continue to be in the hands of the individuals who give this data over to companies based on getting something in return, whether it's, it's free soap or something else. Um, and in the middle of this, we have now established in Europe through the General Data Protection Regulation, GDPR, an absolute requirement within the EU, 28 countries, soon to be 27, uh, but those other th three other countries, Norway, Switzerland, and, and the UK will, will also uh, abide by this, that the individual has the complete control over their own data. And that in order for that data to be used, the, the individual has to provide that the, the um, uh, permission. And that will inhibit the governments as well as businesses from going as far as they could possibly go in each one of the other two regions. And that's why, and I've said, if, if we're going to, the control of this data eventually is going to have a very strong influence on all of these mobility systems, ride sharing, autonomous driving, control of vehicles. And if the control of the data is in the hands of the state, of the individual and of the, the uh, businesses, it will be those three groups who will decide how mobility occurs. And that's that's the basic thesis behind the the, uh, the article. And, and it, it is likely to be very very different. And, and I think it's it, I I really like the, the way that you put it in terms of of um, of uh, who controls it is so important because you know as as I was reading it uh, saying you know. In, in a sense, um, you know, with China and, and having the, the central entity who is who is explicit who has said, has said explicitly and has been explicitly uh, for the improvement of the of the masses of the people, uh, then and in some sense, you know, depending on on what your politics are, that is a really good thing. Um, uh, having all that control in the in the hands of Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, then says, my goodness, uh, we're in good shape as long as he's a benevolent dictator. Uh, right. but, uh, but at some point, uh, you know, my, oh, uh, and, and if he becomes somebody else, uh, my goodness. And there's no organizational structure. There's no government structure under him uh, that, um, that basically um, modulates that, whereas uh, one has one has had for now centuries, uh, many centuries in China, the organizational structure around it. Right. And then in Europe, it's completely different. Everybody can opt out. Nobody might have any. Nobody might have any of it. And one is there maybe in total disarray because um, there's no opportunity for either a, a benevolent government uh, to use it nor a benevolent dictator 
And, um, and so I don't know where you are. So I just, I just thought it was a really neat way to put it all. And I, I, I agree with you so much in terms of, of putting that together. And it raises so many questions about, you know, where the, where the advantages are. And uh, obviously there are advantages to just about every side that you mention. But uh, does it hold back the, the, the use of the technology in the end if uh, we all want to retain our own data and, and not, not share it? Well, I, I think well, in, the, in, the case of, in the case of Europe, the developments that, we've, that we have been talking about in, with, with self-driving cars, with driverless cars, with autonomous cars, it's not unusual that, that most of, of this is being developed in, not developed, but developed and tested in the United States and in China. Uh, in China, the, the government is very much in charge of what's going on and how things are happening. They make the decisions about who does what, where, and when. In the United States, there's, a, there's this issue of, of what the state decides and what the federal government decides. The federal government is trying to, to, to say that we make the rules, uh, but on the other hand, it's the state that actually has the implementation responsibility for those rules. So um, the, the fact that we don't hear very much about what's going on in Europe has, has a lot to do with exactly this issue that something can happen in Munich, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen in Germany or something can happen in, in uh, Gothenburg or Stockholm, but it doesn't necessarily mean that all of Sweden is behind this. I mean, there, there are individual tests that are going on and, and companies are working with, with, uh, with some uh, governmental agencies, uh, some institutions, some universities are working with, with, with businesses, but it's, it's not on the same scale as what's happening in the United States and in China. And I think that's, that's because of this, this issue that if something, something does work, it can be implemented right across the, the entire country in China. And, chi and the Chinese government will make that decision or break that decision. Now, Google doesn't operate in China, and there's a very good reason for it because China wants its own companies to be, to be the Google. Um, whereas in the United States, that, that isn't the case. If you, know, if, if you become Amazon, then somebody else is going to have to climb up that hill and knock you off, and the government's not going to necessarily help you do it. So um, it, it, it is going to have a major impact on how things happen, at what speed, and what the likely possibilities are. And in Europe, it's a greater possibility that we're going to have collective transportation operating more trains, maybe more fast trains, although I'm, I'm very much against high-speed rail, but more, more collective transportation as opposed to more individualized transportation. You even bring up the idea of whether bicycles are good or bad for cities in, in the latest uh, edition of the Dispatcher. <laughs> Tell us about that. Well, you know, it, it's, um, I, spent, I spent the entire summer here where, where we have our, our place. Every morning I, I take a ride, either it's a half an hour ride or it's a, it's a 10 minute ride in, into town, depending on which direction I take, to, uh, to pick up the newspaper because we don't have newspaper delivery. By the way, reading a newspaper in paper form is just one thing that I cannot not do. Um, and here we have, we have bicycle paths. We have very little traffic on the streets. Um, it's, a, it's a very old town, small streets. but. As I say in my article, 
I will not get on a bicycle in Stockholm. I mean, I'm, I have had near-death experiences in Boston and, and in, in London. Uh, I was just in London. My, my wife and I were there for a visit with, uh, with family. Um, and I mean, you know, just watching what's going on in London with, with bicycles and rickshaws and, and buses and all this other stuff, it's, it's, a, it's a mess. And so I felt someone's got to go out there and say, you know, you're talking about putting people on bicycles and that's going to help save the environment. And then you put, put, put batteries on these bicycles so people can think that they can operate them like it's a, like it's a car. You know, they can get on it, they can go anywhere, and they can drive at any speed. But there's no, absolutely no control. You're on a bicycle, you fall off, you're dead. If you, if you drive into a, to a, to a car or a car just manages to nudge you and you nudge yourself into somebody else and you're traveling at 30 or 40 miles per hour, you're dead. You've got absolutely no protection. And I think it's totally irresponsible on the part of our governments, both federal at federal level or country level and at, particularly at the city level, to put people in harm's way. While we're trying to improve the safety of cars, while we're trying to do everything we can to save lives by, by getting people out of the driver's seat, and we're putting people on, on, on our streets and allowing them to kill themselves. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Alan? Yeah. I, well, <laughs> I let Michael lead that because uh, here in the United States, if you're not for a bicycle, then bicycles, then you must be a communist or something. I, I don't know, whatever. It's really bad. Um, uh, my, my view of, of bicycling is, is that um, uh, at best, it's going to, uh, it could be a mode for, for trip lengths that are, um, that are short. Uh, in other words, uh, about a, a mile or so, maybe maybe two, uh, yeah. but not any more than that. And so, if you really look at the, it, then um, if you put all those folks uh, instead of on bicycles in cars, uh, the increase in vehicle miles traveled, the increase in energy, the increase in pollution caused by by putting them all on bike uh, in cars or taking them all out of cars and putting them on bicycles works either way. It, it ends up being at, at, at best at the 1% level. You know, it is, uh, it's, it's, it's too small. It's almost too small to matter. Uh, it's been something that the DOTs, departments of transportation have gotten enamored with because it made them seem like they were doing something and there weren't, they didn't spend very much money doing it. Uh, but uh, it was more, you know, I, I think it was more a public relations thing. It wasn't really trying to address real mobility issues, real um, uh, mobility for the disadvantaged, uh, uh, real energy issues, real pollution issues, or real congestion issues. Uh, so um, anyway, and besides then, uh, you then throw the safety issue on there and what you have to do to uh, basically protect those folks. Um, anyway, um, um, but I love bicycles. What am I, I have to say that. You certainly have enough bike racks and even, I think, bike sharing on campus there, right? Yeah, we have it on campus. We have bike racks, bike sharings, and the bicyclists run over the pedestrians and whatever on the, on the sidewalks. Well, and, and we can't wait to get birds here and all the motorized scooters. I mean, uh, can't wait for those. E-bikes, I think, are the fastest-growing category in, in cycling, bicycling today, so... 
we'll, we'll see. Of they are. They're, anything that's growing from zero is the fastest growing, okay? Because when you go from zero to one, man, that's infinite <laughs> growth. Whatever. Well, <laughs> well Alan, some accidents uh, making news. Uh, uh, first of all, a, a Tesla driver arrested for drunk driving after he blamed autopilot for his crash into a fire truck. Well, again, this this points out, as is being pointed out all over the place, um, uh, the problem with these cars is the automated emergency braking system, and everybody is finally coming out and saying, yes, uh, if there's an object uh, in, the, in the lane ahead uh, for which uh, the closing velocity on that object is equal or close to equal to the uh, uh, car's velocity, uh, then, then all these systems disregard it. Uh, why? Because the false alarm rates um, of um, it not being able to determine it, is that an overpass or a a, um, a dangling uh, traffic light or uh, uh, overhead branch. Uh, it can't tell the difference between those things and, and actually a stopped uh, fire truck uh, in the lane ahead. And um, and what point what it points out to me is one of the real technological autonomous vehicle um, improvements that needs to be made. Uh, the number one uh, improvement that needs to be made right now is in, in the automated emergency braking systems. Uh, they have to work. They uh, and be able to discern between an object uh, that you can't pass under that's detected in the lane uh, ahead versus one that you can pass under and, and it's not a threat. And it has to do that reliably, in other words, uh, with the probability of um, a false alarm or, uh, being extremely, extremely small. And if it does uh, uh, have that alarm, it doesn't just slam on the brakes and slam them on forever. It begins to slow down and learns more and, and investigates more and, and comes up and, and, and makes, it, uh, makes a proper interpretation. Uh, an enormously, uh, much more intelligence needs to be put in those systems. They have to become much, much better. And in fact, uh, all, the, all the lane keeping and all the um, uh, intelligent cruise control systems, uh, they should only operate in, in, in speed ranges at which the automated emergency braking system works. So if the automated emergency braking system works only up to 25 miles an hour, then no taking your hands uh, off the wheel or feet off the pedals and, and cruise control um, uh, if you're going over 25 miles an hour. Um, and, and this business of the industry coming out and saying by 2020 we're going to we're going to put automated emergency braking systems in, in all the vehicles. This, the systems they have to put in there are not any system. They're systems that work and work throughout the whole speed range uh, that the vehicle will be operating. And if they only work up to 70 miles an hour, then the vehicle can travel over 70 miles an hour. And if they want the vehicle and they want to advertise that it can go 130 miles an hour, then the automated emergency braking system has to work at 130 miles an hour. And, and it's time for NHTSA and everybody else to put their foot down on this one because it's killing people. You've been talking about that for a long time. The other accident we were, that's making some news is an Apple self-driving test car, according to The Verge and others, was rear-ended by a Nissan Leaf. Well, again, maybe they should, you know, put the sign on the back saying, hey, you know, guys, uh, 
we obey all traffic uh, laws and, and rules. Uh, uh, maybe you should too. And uh, the LEAF, uh, what about its automated emergency braking system? Why didn't it keep it from, from rear-ending it? What's going on here, Nissan? You mean you don't have an a- AEB on those things? The thing was only traveling whatever, 15, 20, 30 miles an hour. Come on, car companies. But some people are going to do a double take at this headline and say, wait, wait a minute, an Apple self-driving car actually exists? Uh, yeah, well, that's the other one. Well, no, they, they have like 25 of them out there, and they're running around there. Again, uh, somewhat like Waymo, they don't have to tell anybody because they're not, they're probably building this for their own account, not to sell it to somebody else. You know, the, the reason there's there's very little information that comes out of Waymo is that Waymo isn't out there, you know, thinking of selling this stuff or flipping it. They're building it. Waymo, especially in Burns' book, Autonomy, which I, you know, which I recommend everybody to read, you know, it, I've all, I felt that Waymo was in it to win it. After you read that book, you know that Waymo's in it to win it. And if you're in it to win it, uh, a lot of things, what do you need to tell anybody? You're, you're doing it to get it to work. I think the other thing that's, that sort of uh, came out, not only with, with the book autonomy, but with what's happening all over the place. You know, we all worry about safety of these things. Uh, I think the, the players that are in there now, uh, especially after the Herzberg uh, um, uh, crash and, and, and that disastrous uh, Uber crash, uh, that, that in fact, safety is paramount here. And it really is a, 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 an absolute necessary condition. Uh, we may not need governments to remind us of that. Uh, we may not even need Ralph Nader to remind us of that. Uh, it is absolutely necessary. And um, that's why I'm, I'm in there also saying to the folks that aren't interested in getting getting a driverless, but only self-driving. Look, safety is absolutely important to you, and that's why you better get the automated emergency braking systems to work. And on that note, uh, we're going to be wrapping up. Michael, we want to take a second here to thank you so much for being with us once again. My pleasure. Michael, always fun. Yes. And you can find him at Michael L. Senna. It's michaellsena.com. You can find us at smartdrivingcars.com. Follow us on Facebook. Find us on iTunes, Google Play, and more. Look for my tech reports at textination.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Alan Kornhauser. Thanks for listening. Happy September.